Good morning, church. One of the things that I love about the church in general and this congregation specifically is the way that we surround one another and support one another and pray for one another and help one another when we're going through difficult times. Uh, this morning, I, I want to make sure that you're aware, uh, one of our members, Matt Delaney, uh, he's in the hospital in Texarkana right now, uh, in stable but in serious condition. He was playing baseball yesterday, and he was uh, struck by a stray bullet uh, from a neighborhood conflict uh, that was unrelated to him or the game, but uh, he was struck by that bullet, and he uh, is in, in the hospital in Texarkana. So please be praying for Matt, be praying for his parents, Mark and Amy, and their whole family. In fact, let's, let's go to God in prayer right now on their behalf. Father God, we are so thankful that we can bring our requests to you. And Father, we, we long for the day when there will be no more violence and no more pain and no more hurting. But Father, until then, we pray that you bring healing and strength and comfort, peace. Father, we pray for Matt Delaney. We pray for his healing. We pray for the doctors and nurses that are taking care of him. We pray for his parents, Mark and Amy. We pray for their whole family, that you bring them comfort and peace. We pray, Father, that you wrap them in your loving, comforting arms. Father, thank you for the church. Thank you that we can support one another and build one another up and pray for one another. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have now, presently, and for the future that we have because of him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Ironically, my first question that I wanted to ask you this morning was, who or what makes you angry? And, and maybe, maybe it's, it's things like, like this, like we were just talking about, that make you angry. Things that you, you see on the news, things that you see on social media, things that you experience with people that you love, things that hurt people make you angry. But maybe there's other things that make you angry. Maybe sometimes your family makes you angry. Maybe sometimes your coworkers make you angry. Sometimes your classmates make you angry. Maybe things that you, you just see as you're scrolling through social media make you angry. But let me ask you, how do you handle your anger? When something makes you angry, when something makes your blood boil, how do you handle that? Maybe you, maybe you sort of silently brood and sulk and you just kind of let that boil inside of you. Maybe you yell and scream and raise your voice. Maybe you, you throw things. Maybe you take to social media yourself and you make a post about how angry you are and all of the people that make you angry. Maybe you use sarcasm or maybe you're passive aggressive. How do you handle your anger and, and what kind of words, specifically this, this month we're thinking about our words, what kind of words do you use when you're angry? Are they words that hurt and tear down? We, we've been asking this question, how are your words showcasing the Spirit's work? 
That's what Ephesians is all about, not words specifically, but showcasing the Spirit's work. That's what Ephesians is all about, is about how Paul is writing to these Christians saying, you are a, a new, a new self. You are, you are a masterpiece of God. God is doing a wonderful, transforming work in you, and that needs to be evident. And one of the ways that that is evident is in the words that we speak and in the words that we don't speak, the words that we refrain from speaking. But it's particularly when we're angry, when we're upset, when something has happened that has hurt us or hurt other people, that makes our blood boil, that makes our blood pressure rise, it's particularly in those moments, in those moments, that we can really see whether or not the Spirit is transforming us. It isn't just when we're, we're comfortable. Anybody can speak good, wholesome, uplifting words when we're happy, when we're comfortable, when everything is going great. But it's when you're angry, when you're upset, when you're tested. When you're tested, what kind of words are you speaking? And how are your words showcasing the Spirit's work? Look at Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 26, here's what Paul says, Ephesians 4 and verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Now, now you, you may have heard that phrase used a lot, and sometimes we sort of pull that out of context, and it does sound sort of like it is a command, be angry, but sometimes we just like to stop there and say, see, it's not wrong to be angry. It's not wrong to be angry. But, but listen to the whole context, everything that Paul is saying in this context. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Even though this is sort of phrased like a command, be angry, be angry, it's more like an acknowledgement. He's not telling you you need to be angry or you need to get upset. He's acknowledging you will. You, you will be angry. The NIV words it like this. It says, in your anger, do not sin. It's an, an acknowledgement that you will get angry, but when you get angry, don't sin. He's saying to us that anger is dangerous. There is an inherent danger of you sinning when you get angry. When your blood pressure starts to rise, when your heart rate starts to rise, it should be a warning signal to you, like a little red light flashing in your mind saying, there is danger here. And specifically what he's saying is, don't stay angry. It's not wrong to get angry, but it is wrong to intentionally stay angry, isn't it? That's what he's saying. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's not wrong to get angry. You're going to get angry. There are going to be things that upset you. Things that you think, it shouldn't be like this. This shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen to me. It shouldn't happen to people I love. It shouldn't happen to strangers. This kind of thing shouldn't happen. People shouldn't do this kind of thing. And we're going to get angry. But when we get angry, we have to realize that it it's wrong to intentionally stay angry. And sometimes we do that, don't we? Something sort of sets us off, and, and we get upset, 
and we're, we're angry about something, and then we stoke the fires, right? It's kind of like a, a fireplace or like a, a bonfire, and you throw a little bit more wood on there, and we do that, don't we? We sit there and we brood. We sit there and we sulk. We, we, we stoke the fire. We throw another log on there, and we say, yeah, and they shouldn't, and then this shouldn't, and why does this? And we throw other logs on the fire, and we stoke those fires inside of us. We gossip about our anger with other people, don't we? we? We intentionally stay angry, and then we tell other people about it. Do you know what happened? Do you know what he did to Do you know what she did to me? Do you know what they said? And we gossip about our anger with others. Maybe it's even possible that you fantasize about maybe not hurting someone, but someone being hurt, getting what they deserve, and we intentionally stay angry. But Paul says, when you get angry, don't sin and don't let the sun go down on your anger. In, in other words, you have to intentionally move out of that angry stage. You have to intentionally move away from that. You have to put it away. You have to put it away. And here's three ways. Let me give you three ways to keep the sun from going down on your anger. In other words, three ways to not stay angry. Number one, overlook offenses. This should be something we practice a million times a day. Overlook offenses. When something makes you mad, intentionally overlook it. I'm not saying bury it. I'm not saying hold on to it. I'm not saying store it away for a more convenient time. I'm saying overlook it. Forget it. Just forget it. Just put it away and say, what difference does it make? It's not a big deal. Who cares? I'm going to put it away and I'm going to move on. I'm not going to dwell on this. People are going to say rude things to you. People are going to be offensive. People are going to hurt your feelings. And sometimes, here's what you need to do. Forget it. Just forget it. Move on. Don't hold on to it. Don't dwell on it. Don't think about it. Don't bring it up two years from now. Well, I forgave you about that, but I would just want to remind you what you said. Don't do that. Overlook it. Put it away. But sometimes, sometimes, the sin is so grievous that, that you need to say something. So number two, discuss and then forgive. Discuss. Go to that brother or that sister. Go to that person who has done something against you, something that's too big to let go, too big to overlook, and go to them and discuss it with them. And when they repent and they apologize, forgive them. Forgive them. Don't hold on to it. Don't bring it up two years from now. Forgive them. Forgive them. This is what we're called to do. Sometimes you have to discuss it. Not discuss it with your neighbor. Not discuss it with your, with your family. Not discuss it with your friends. Not put it on social media. Discuss it with the person that you're angry at. And then forgive them. There's also a time, number three, there's also a time to entrust the matter to those in authority. Sometimes because the person won't repent, brother or sister in Christ, we entrust it to the church. 
And even, even in that, even in that, in entrusting it to the church, the idea is I don't have to stay angry about this. It may be that the church has to discipline that person. That happens sometimes because the person has sinned so seriously and their soul is in danger that they have to be disciplined. But just because someone hasn't repented doesn't mean you have to stay angry. You can entrust the matter to the church. Sometimes we entrust the matter to the civil authorities, Romans 13. That's what they're there for, to punish evildoers. And sometimes what someone has done is not just offensive, it's criminal. But even in that, we, we trust. I don't have to stay mad. It's not my job. I don't have to punish that person. It's not my job. It's, it's the job of those that are in that position of authority. Ultimately, we entrust it to God, don't we? We entrust it to God. That's what the imprecatory psalms are all about. I talked not too long ago about imprecatory psalms. It's the psalms where you pray, God, punish this person. And the reason we have imprecatory psalms is so that you don't have to stay mad about it. Entrust it to God. There are things that happen in this world that are so absolutely horrible and wrong. Horrible. Horrible injustices that maybe you have personally experienced. But even if you haven't personally experienced, you have seen it and it grieves your soul. It is, it is toxic and unhealthy to stay angry even about things that are horrible and wrong and unjust. It is so much better to entrust them to the Lord. I, I know that violence grieves your soul. I know that racism grieves your soul. I know that injustice grieves your soul. Entrust it to the Lord. That doesn't mean don't do anything about it. It means that it's unhealthy for you to stay angry about it all the time. It's not doing you or the world to stay bitter. That will, that will negatively impact your emotions, your mind, and your spirit. Entrust it to the Lord. Entrust it to the Lord. And that way, we can have joy in the Lord even in the midst of horrible situations. So sometimes, sometimes what you need to do is just overlook it. Sometimes what you need to do is have a conversation with the person who sinned against you. And sometimes what you need to do is just entrust it to those who are in authority. Now listen to this next part, Ephesians 4 and verse 27. He says, and give no opportunity to the devil. Give no opportunity to the devil because every time you get angry, every time I get angry, here's what happens. The door gets opened to the devil. That should, that should tell us just how serious this is. Be angry and do not sin. In your, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Move on from it, because if you don't move on from it, if you allow the sun to keep setting on your anger, and you stay mad day after day, week after week, year after year, you are leaving the door of opportunity open to the devil. Every time you get mad, Every time you get angry and you say, yeah, but this, this situation, it deserves, we, of course it's going to make me mad. Th that's not the question. Sometimes you are going to get angry. 
But you need to recognize that even though somebody has sinned against you or somebody has sinned in the world and that sin made you angry, it may end up causing you to sin if you're not careful. Maybe you got angry because someone else did wrong, but don't allow what they did to make you do wrong. Give no opportunity to the devil. Because what exactly does the devil do? What's the the MO of the, the devil? How does the devil operate? He operates by telling us lies, doesn't he? And when you're angry, when your blood pressure is up, when your heart rate is up, when you're boiling inside, that is a great opportunity for you to believe some lies, isn't it? We are incredibly susceptible and vulnerable to lies when we're angry. So let me give you some examples. Some of the lies the devil tells us when we're angry. See if these resonate with you. Number one, you are entirely justified, right? That's, that's what the devil tells me when I'm angry. You are entirely justified right now, Wes. Everything you're thinking, everything you're feeling, everything you've done, you're in the right. And then, of course, by contrast, this is all their fault. All of this is their fault. If you're mad at your, your spouse, or you're mad at your kids, or you're mad at your parents, or you're mad at your coworker, or you're mad at your boss, or you're mad at whomever... The devil's going to tell you, you are entirely justified, and they are entirely at fault. When your blood pressure goes up, when your heart rate goes up, recognize that you are vulnerable and susceptible to lies just like this, that make you feel justified and make it feel like they are completely at fault. Number three, they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. The devil lies to us and tells us that person that you're angry at, they're not even really a person. They're wicked. They're like a demon. They're horrible. They don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. They don't deserve to be loved. They don't deserve to be trusted after what they did. Maybe somebody that you disagree with politically. Maybe somebody that you've seen that's done something horrible or maybe just somebody in your family. And not only do you entirely blame them for what's happened, but you tell yourself they they don't even deserve to receive the benefit of the doubt or deserve to be loved. Number four, they were never really your friend to begin with. You ever tell yourself that lie? You ever hear that lie when you're mad at someone and now you start to doubt your entire relationship with that person and you say... They were never really my friend. I don't know why I ever really liked them. I don't know why I ever hung out with them. I don't know why I ever talked to them. Or how about this one? Everyone needs to hear about what has happened, right? We feel like that, don't we? When we're upset, when something has happened to us, when someone did something to us, we think, man, people need to hear about this. People need to hear about this. So we take to social media or we start to talk to our friends around the water cooler and we start to tell people what's happened because... The devil lies to us, and he tells us everyone needs to hear about this. And maybe what was done to you was sinful and wrong, but now you're participating in slander and gossip, and what you're doing is just as wrong. Or how about this one? You need to get back, you need to get them back so they know how bad it hurts. 
The devil tells us you need to get revenge on them, but we don't say it like that, right? We don't want to say it like it's revenge. We want to just say they need to know how bad this hurts. So I'm going to, I'm going to do this to them, or I'm going to say this to them, or I'm going to do this thing because they need to know how bad it hurts. Do we understand that these are lies that we are tempted to believe when we're angry? Give no opportunity to the devil. When something happens to you that causes you to react in anger, your first mission, your first mission is to calm back down, to close that door, because you need to recognize the door of opportunity has been opened wide to the devil, and you are vulnerable, you are susceptible for the devil to come in and lie to you, so your goal first, first, is to calm back down, is to lower your blood pressure, lower your heart rate, close that door to the devil, so that you now are beginning to think a little more rationally, and saying, listen, Just because wrong has been done to me doesn't justify me doing wrong in response. Just because I've been wronged doesn't mean I'm going to wrong someone else. In your anger, do not sin. Look at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal. But rather, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now again, this is all part of the context where Paul is saying, this is what the new life in Christ looks like. This is what the life looks like when you're filled with the Spirit. And it's not just about stop doing bad stuff. When I was a kid and I thought about what does it mean to be a Christian, I thought, well, it primarily means what you believe, you believe the right things, and you don't do the bad things. It's what you believe and what you don't do. And that's part of it. It is about what you believe, and it is about what you don't do, but it's also about what you do, actively doing what is right and what is good. So Paul says, it's not enough that the thief stops stealing. He also needs to share Now he goes to work, and he works, not just so that he doesn't steal from people, but so that he shares with people. The hands that used to steal, now share. Just like the mouth that used to lie, now speaks the truth. The mouth that used to let corrupt things come out of it and tear people down, now speaks words that build people up, that give grace to those who hear. The the mouth that used to let angry, bitter, resentful things out of it now is speaking words that bring healing and bring hope. It's not enough. It's not enough that we just don't fly off the handle. It's not enough that we just don't lie. We also need to use our mouth for what is good, what is holy, what is healing, what is helping, what is truthful. Verse 29, he says, we read this last week, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Let's kind of walk through that. Because we're given so many words here so that there's no confusion about what he's saying. So that there's no confusion. He, he uses multiple words. One, bitterness. Bitterness. Isn't that interesting how bitterness can refer to both taste and temper, right? Bitterness can refer to both taste and temper. When, when a food is bitter, it, it kind of bites, right? It has, a, it has a bite to it. And when you're bitter, you kind of got a bite to you too, don't you? And he says, all of this has to go. All of this bitterness has to go. This animosity, this anger, this harshness, it has to go. That, that's part of who you were. That's part of the pre-baptism person you were. That's part of the pre-spirit person you were. But now that you're in Christ, now that the Spirit dwells in you, that's no longer appropriate. Bitterness is no longer appropriate. Wrath rage and indignation, fury, anger, clamor. This is a good word. We don't use clamor very often, do we? Clamor. It's, it's easy when Bible words just kind of stay Bible words. It's like clamor. I don't know what that is, but I don't do it, you know? <laughs> it's yelling. It's yelling. It's screaming. Shouting. It's one of the very first things we do when we get angry, isn't it? We get loud. We get loud. All of this has to be put away. Slander. It's language that defames, disrespects, and insults. When for no reason other than you're mad at them, you're talking about someone behind their back. You say, yeah, but it's true. They really did that thing. So, that has no bearing on whether or not you need to be sharing that information with other people. Because it's not doing any good except to defame them. It's not doing any good but to ruin their reputation. And then that last word, malice, being mean-spirited or having a vicious attitude. I mean, do we see what, what this scripture says? That outbursts of anger are in the exact same category as things like lying and stealing. Outbursts of anger are in the same category as lying and stealing. I mean, it's easy for us to think, well, I don't lie and I don't steal. I'm an honest person. Okay, good, wonderful, fantastic. Give glory to God for the fact that you don't lie and you don't steal. But what do you say when you get mad? Maybe this is an area on which we need to reflect and allow the Spirit of God to do His work. Again, it's not to say, you just need to work harder. You need to work harder and fix yourself. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying the Spirit of God does this work in you. When you focus on Jesus, when you pray for the Spirit to work in you, when you surrender yourself 
to the work of the Holy Spirit. He can do this work in you, but you have to participate. You have to be intentional about putting off these things in saying these things belong to the old person. This was the old self. I don't want to be that person anymore. I want the bitterness and the wrath and the anger and the clamor, the yelling, the screaming, the slander, the malice. I want it all to be gone. And I want Jesus to change me. But it's not just the the negatives. It's also putting on the positives. Look at verse 32. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. See, it's kindness and tenderness and forgiveness. That's what we should look like. That's what we should look like. The Holy Spirit is changing you to look and sound like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is changing you so that you act like Jesus and talk like Jesus and think like Jesus and love like Jesus. When you really surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit's work, that's what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in us, is to change us so that we don't think and talk and act and live like we did before. But Jesus sort of takes over and we become like him. So Paul could say, you forgive as God in Christ forgave you. You start to live that out where you extend that forgiveness to others. Why? Because that's what was done for you. Going on to chapter 5 and verse 1, therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, it's interesting to me. So many times when, when Scripture tells us to imitate God, and that sounds rather intimidating, doesn't it? Imitate God. Be imitators of God. That's, that's quite a task. But almost always when we're told to imitate God, it's things like this. It's tenderness and love and mercy and kindness. As God in Christ forgave you, be imitators of God. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Jesus would say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. Because God makes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. See, the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, is living in you. And our job is to be filled with Him, to surrender ourselves to His transforming work and power in us, so that we begin to take on the qualities of God, the qualities of God, We're being adopted into his family, and because of his spirit, we begin to take on a family resemblance. A family resemblance. Not that we look like him in a physical sense, but we look like him in the sense that we're doing the sorts of things that Jesus does. We sound like him. Not not in that our voices all sound the same, but we talk the way Jesus talks. You're beginning to look and sound like Jesus when you choose forgiveness over fury. 
You're beginning to look and sound like Jesus when you choose forgiveness over fury. You say, I have a right to be angry. Yes, but you have a savior, a king, a rabbi, a teacher, a Lord who calls you to something better, something better than anger. He calls you to forgiveness. I was reading this week a story about Corrie ten Boom, who was a Christian who lived in the Netherlands. And she and her family would take care of and protect Jews who were trying to escape from the Holocaust. When they were discovered and they were arrested, Corrie and her sister were put into a prison camp, a concentration camp, Ravensbrück. And after the war, her sister was killed, but Corey survived. And after the war, she went to Germany and in Germany shared the message of the forgiveness that Jesus offers. And one night after she spoke about the forgiveness that she had and that others could have in Christ, a man came up to her and introduced himself and said, I, I heard you speak about Ravensbrück. I was a guard there. And she recognized him as one of the most cruel and vindictive guards in the camp. He said to her, a fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk. I was a guard there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fräulein, will you forgive me? And he stuck out his hand and asked whether or not she would forgive him. She said this, I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy, that was her sister, had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. And then she reached out her hand. And she took his, and she said, the current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. I had never known love so intensely as I did then, but even then I realized it was not my love, it was the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe we hear a story like that and we think I could never forgive like that. Or, or maybe we hear a story like that and we think, I'd like to think I could forgive like that. Something so big, something so monumental, after going through such a horrible tragedy, I hope and pray that the Spirit of God would help me to be able to forgive a person like that in a place like that, in a situation like that. But here's the thing, you don't have to wait 
until you are in a situation like that to start loving and forgiving people. You don't have to wait until you've been injured so drastically before you choose forgiveness over fury. You can start with the little things, with the little offenses, with the little slights, with the little hurt feelings, and you can choose to show the same kind of forgiveness to others that Jesus has shown to you. Choose. Choose forgiveness. And when you choose forgiveness, you start to look and sound a whole lot like Jesus. Maybe there's somebody here this morning and you're ready to experience forgiveness and transformation and the presence and indwelling of the Holy Spirit by being baptized into Jesus. If that's you, if you've been waiting to make that decision to put Christ on, then I encourage you, don't wait another day. But if you have experienced that, if you've been forgiven by Jesus, then extend that forgiveness to others. And if we can help you in any way this morning, now's a great opportunity to come forward as together we stand and sing.